Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your mercy, which is new for us every morning. Lord, we thank you for your word that you have spoken to us. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to you now and open your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So for those of you who don't know, I am uh, Sean, formerly known as the campus pastor of ION, and now my title is uh, Trevor's Understudy. So um, (laughs) I'm glad to be with you guys today and uh, excited to be with you more often. And today I am going to take you back to probably one of the most stressful times of your childhood existence. All right, so I know. Uh, You're probably thinking, wait, what did he say? Uh, Why did I come to church today? Uh, After less sleep, too. Um, But we're going to get through this together. It's going to end well, I promise. Um, Do you remember the process of picking teams when you were a kid? It happened in recess or gym class, usually. Um, And uh, if you wanted to play a game, you had to pick teams, right? If you had a merciful gym teacher... Uh, they would line you up and simply count off. One, two, one, two, one, two. If only all gym teachers were that smart and socially conscious. Most of them weren't. What they usually did was they picked two people to be captains, right? You know, you'll be a captain, you'll be a captain. And then these two team captains stood out while everybody else lined up, and then they took turns picking teammates. You're probably all sweating a little bit right now, thinking about it. Um, The following moments were this absolutely evil combination of an impromptu popularity contest along with this uh, evaluation by your peers publicly of your athletic ability, right? This is what happened, and or your lack thereof, the lack thereof your uh, athletic ability. You felt completely naked in those moments, and uh, it was torture. And you didn't know this, but this was actually how Darwin developed his theory of the survival of the fittest. He went to the local elementary school and watched recess in gym class. It's not true at all, but it fits. And um, it was, it's a rough experience. And it was rough if you were a captain too. If you ever got chosen to be the captain, uh, you had to make the choice. You know, am I about friendship right now or am I about winning? You know, as as an eight-year-old kid. And your buddy's sitting there like, you know, pick me, pick me, dude, pick me. Oh my gosh, you know, so wanting you to pick them. And you're like... You know, and you start pointing to the guy who's actually good at kickball because your buddy sucks. And you don't want to tell him that. You feel bad about it, but you're like, sorry, man, it's nothing personal. It's kickball. we got to win. You know, winning, you probably remember, winning mattered on the gym floor. It mattered out there uh, on the playground. Forget March Madness. Forget the Super Bowl or the national championship. Uh, We're talking about dodgeball, kickball. For some reason, these things mattered. We didn't know why they mattered, but they mattered so much as a kid. So when you picked your team, you picked the fastest, the best, the most athletic, the strongest, whatever it took. And then you apologized to your friends later. And uh, like I said, it was brutal stuff. But Trevor and I are available after the service for prayer if PTSD comes up as a result of this. Um... Even elementary kids know that when you pick a team, you pick to win, right? You pick the best. So, if you're picking a team to be your leaders uh, to start a new global movement, it stands to reason that you would want to pick the best and the brightest. 
you would want to pick some folks out on that team that have some experience, have done some studying perhaps on the topic that you're emphasizing, or uh, have a proven track record, right? And if that movement happened to be about the spreading of God's kingdom throughout the world, for example, you'd think that you'd want some people that knew something about God, right? Some God experts. And uh, the folks that had spent their lives on the subject, the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, they were the obvious choices. But Jesus doesn't do that at all. He defies all the playground rules. He defies Darwin, praise God, and um, he defies all human logic. And he picks this ragtag group of misfits, a bunch of fishermen, and a tax collector, a guy who worked for the Romans, you know, the occupiers. And then he picks a zealot who would have hated the guy who was working for the Romans. You know, what in the world is he thinking? Uh, Then he goes and picks all these guys. We don't even know what they did. They were probably fishermen too. And he tops it off by picking a guy that he knows is going to betray him. This is the group that Jesus chooses. It's not what you would call a winning team. So why does he choose this bunch of guys? Well, it goes to the title of our Lenten series, right? We're calling it The Upside Down, which is a reference to the excellent Netflix series, Uh, Stranger Things. So if you haven't watched Stranger Things, that's your homework. Go watch Stranger Things. And uh, it's a sci-fi thriller set in the 80s, and it's great, so that's what you need to do today. But um, instead of talking about another dimension that's ruled by the mind flare, go watch it, you'll understand later, Um, we're going to talk about the upside-down nature of Jesus' ministry and mission. The upside-down nature of Jesus' ministry and mission how he doesn't do what anybody expects him to do. He often does the opposite. He doesn't fit convention. He loves to upset the status quo. And that's what he does here with his leadership team. Luke is the only gospel writer that refers to this group as apostles at this point, right off the bat, right at the beginning when Jesus chooses them. He calls them apostles. They wouldn't really operate under that title until later, until after Jesus' ascension. The word apostle literally translates to one who is sent. One who is sent. And Luke refers to them this way all throughout his gospel and then all throughout the second part of his gospel, which is the book of Acts. Because he wants us to have that in mind as we think about Jesus calling them. He wants us to see that Jesus had a purpose in mind for these guys right from the very start. This is not just random selection, okay? Like I said, he defies Darwin. Um, Jesus doesn't do random. He knows who they are and why he wants them. He spent all night praying about it, Luke says. So he is doing this very intentionally. These are the guys that he wanted to be his witnesses, that he would send. We still haven't figured out why, why them? Why not the religious experts? Well, it's because of his mission, because of why Jesus came. We already heard that Luke, uh, we've already heard Luke highlight it twice in just these first six chapters of his gospel. He's highlighted why Jesus has come very specifically. We heard it in chapter four when Jesus stood up in the synagogue and read Isaiah 61. 
He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then again, we hear it again in chapter 5, when Jesus is off doing the thing that nobody expected, which is partying with Matthew and all his tax collector friends. He says to the Pharisees who object to all of this, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. And then Luke will say it again later in his gospel in chapter 19. He will say that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus chooses these guys this group of misfits, because they were exactly the type of people that he had come for. They were the ones that he had come to find. He came for the sick, not the healthy. He came for the weak, not the strong. He came for sinners, not the righteous. Jesus wants people to hear that he has come to save them. That's Luke's main emphasis that he's trying to show us throughout his gospel, that Jesus is the Savior and he has brought salvation. Each gospel writer has a little bit of a different emphasis that gives us a full picture of the Lord. And Luke wants us to hear that, that Jesus has come to save. He has been showing us throughout these first chapters that he has the power, he has the authority. And he's gonna use that power to heal. These guys will come to know that truth in a deeply personal way. We'll see as we walk through the gospels. As we walk through Luke, they come to know that truth deeply personally, and they end up being the most qualified. They end up being the most qualified to be Jesus' A-team because they were sinners, and they know they need mercy. They know they needed forgiveness. And the religious leaders did not think of themselves this way, okay? So when you're thinking religious leaders, think of us, think of me. Think, don't think of Trevor, because Trevor is incredibly humble, um, but think of me, and uh, sorry, nobody laughed. Anyway, um, <clears throat> because they all believe it. Anyhow, um, the religious leaders saw themselves as, as the healthy, as the righteous, as the qualified, right? They, they did not uh, buy into Jesus' message. They, they couldn't be his messengers because they thought his mission was wrong. They thought that he should have been about what they were about, which is about telling these sinners to straighten up, get your act together, and start working harder to be righteous. Work as hard as all of us have been working. That's what we should be about. That's what Jesus should be doing. He shouldn't be hanging out with them, partying with them. Certainly shouldn't be calling a bunch of fishermen. But Jesus kept on doing this annoying thing. It was super annoying to the religious types. He just kept on forgiving people. He kept on forgiving sinners. He kept on throwing grace around willy-nilly to all these people that they thought should not be included. These unclean, unworthy, not even trying a bit to improve sinners. Where does Jesus get off doing this? That's what they were thinking. Chris told us last week that after Jesus healed the man with the withered hand, the Pharisees had decided from that point on they were going to do whatever they could to catch Jesus 
and to bring him down. Because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. Somebody who was unclean. Jesus doesn't stop. He continues to disrupt things. And he does it right here. After he calls his apostles and names them apostles, as Luke says, he shows them again what he is all about. And he goes on another healing spree. That's what we see. Thousands of people are coming from all over the region, all over Judea, Jerusalem. They're coming from the seacoast, which was like six hours away by car. And they were, so that means they were walking for days to come see Jesus. And they're this desperate group of people that Luke describes as being full of disease and demonized, possessed. They were not clean. And what does Jesus do with all of them? He heals them all, Luke says. Luke has shown us repeatedly in these opening chapters that Jesus is the one with the authority. He said it last week and the week before. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He tells the man to get up and walk. He heals the man's hand. He's been displaying that I'm the one who has the authority to do this. I'm the one who has the power, and I'm using it to save you. That's why I've come. As Luke says, his power pours out of him towards us. This is God's chosen Savior. Luke is the only one that shows Jesus uh, doing this right before he launches into one of his biggest teachings. Luke's the only one that shows him going on this healing spree right before he launches into uh, what Matthew calls the Sermon on the Mount and what Luke calls the Sermon on the Plain. It's very likely that Jesus delivered it more than once, so they could be talking about two separate events. They could be talking about the same one, just from different perspectives. Jesus came down the mountain in Luke's version. Either way, Jesus goes on this healing spree, Luke says, right before he launches into the sermon on the plane here. And we're going to hear more about it as we go forward the next few weeks. But I want to bring some of it in here because it gives us an understanding of why he's healing or what he's showing in his healing. He launches right into the Beatitudes, right after this dramatic display of his power. And he says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Jesus wants us to hear today that you are blessed right now if you are in need. If you are desperate right now, you are blessed because you are precisely who he came for. You are precisely the person that he wants to talk to that he wants to encounter. He is going to pour out his power towards you. That's what he's saying. We try so hard to present ourselves in such a way that makes us appear as if we have no needs, right? Because we were all, uh, we bought into it very early on. Remember the playground, remember gym class. We all want to be uh, strong and fast and capable and athletic and cool. We want to be picked first. We don't want to be the last guy standing there. It's the worst being the last person picked for a team. And so we, are, we want to show our best selves. We want to look like we don't have needs, that we're going to be the guy that's going to get out there and make a difference for your team. We want to be desirable to our peers and to the world around us. And it's the lie of our original sin. That's all that is. 
that we think the goal is to not need grace, that we think the goal is to not be desperate. We believe that lie of self-righteousness, that's what the religious leaders all bought into, this lie of self-righteousness that we'll be rejected unless we are looking good and working as hard as we possibly can to keep that appearance up. And Jesus continually attacks that notion. He goes after it all the time. And he tells us that when you are needy, that is when you are blessed. When you are desperate, that is when you are blessed because he has come to fill your emptiness. He has come to meet you in your desperation, to meet you in your need. That's when you see him for who he really is, who Luke wants us to see him as, as the savior of sinners. Everything else is just denial. I'm telling you, this is the world. Everybody falls into two categories on earth. So here you go. If you were wondering, Sean told me at church today. I can sum up everybody. So here we go. Generalizations. Everybody is either in denial about their pain and their brokenness, about the fact that they cannot overcome those things, or they are acutely aware of it. That's it. You're either in denial about that and you are working super hard and spending your entire life to run from this reality or you are aware of it and you are desperate for somebody outside of you to help you. That's the truth. No matter what you've got materially, no matter where you are in your social standing, it's the same two categories. And Jesus comes to create a third. Jesus comes to bring those who are desperate, those who are as good as dead, to life. Jesus says this very clearly uh, right after he lists the Beatitudes. He goes into these woes. He says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for their fathers did so to the false prophets. That's this crowd, the crowd of denial. When you think you've got it all together, you're putting all your faith in what you have achieved or what people say about you. Jesus is saying, woe to you, because those things will fail you. They are not going to save you. You will still find that you are broken and you are desperate underneath all of that. This is that upside-down nature of Jesus' ministry and mission. He's taking the things that we generally buy into in the world. Wealth, uh, fullness, laughing, uh, a good reputation, all these things that we would say, those are great, I want every single one of those. He's saying all those things do is perpetuate your denial. They affirm that lie of Satan and the lie of our sin, that the goal is about being able to stand on your own two feet. As R.E.M. sang in 1991, to be shiny, happy people, right? Shiny, happy people. That's what we think we're supposed to be all the time, and we think we're supposed to achieve it on our own. But it's not true. The radical, this is a radical upside-down notion that Jesus is Uh, giving us today. He is inviting us all today to come to him with all of our brokenness, 
He is inviting all of us. He's calling all of us to come to him with all of our need, to let go of our denial, to stop trying to present ourselves as having it together, to stop worrying about our appearances and being desirable to our peers. He's calling us to actually be who we are, to come to him with all of our fear and doubt, to come to him with our pain and our need, to come to him in our desperation. Come however you are, Jesus is saying, because he promises you today that you are blessed right there because he has come to meet you there. He has come to fill your emptiness. Jesus says that you are forgiven because of his work, because of his grace. He loves you and accepts you now. He has poured out his grace and power for you. He's chosen you. This is the amazing news of Jesus' gospel for us. We are free in him. We do not have to have it together. Because none of us do. Sorry. So I said, those are the two categories. None of us do. But Jesus is powerful and graceful for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your awesomeness, your awesome grace. Lord, the fact that you uh, extend all of your power towards us to save us, that you come and heal all so that we might be made alive in you. We thank you for this good news today, Lord. We pray that you would use it uh, in our lives to bear fruit, that you would make us messengers, that you would send each one of us out to share this with this broken and hurting world, this world that is desperately in denial, that we would share this good news that you have come to forgive and to save sinners. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.